Welcome to the Cowboy Office Show, where you'll experience expert analysis and epic discussion on key pillars of the equine industry, including sports, business, hobby, and the horse lifestyle. Your co-hosts are Jody Brainerd and Brian Dykert, industry veterans with over 120 years combined living the cowboy lifestyle. The Cowboy Office Show will help you get involved, ask more questions, and create change. We'll keep riding for you as together we learn from the ride already ridden, learn to listen better to our horse, and make our industry better for all. Each weekly episode, we'll take a ride around the industry in less time than you can load the truck and trailer. Drop your email at cowboyoffice.com to receive weekly updates and never miss an episode. Settle up as we ride into today's show. Well, hello and good day, horse world. Mares are falling as the next crop arrives. And talk about an expert. Boy, do we have a show for you today. Welcome to Cowboy Office. I'm Brian. And I'm Jody. I'd like to welcome you to this episode in our series, Status of the Horse Show Industry. We have a great guest today to talk horse shows. Uh, today we have with us Paul Bailey. Paul is past president and current vice president of the National Ring Cow Horse Association. He's a fine horseman himself, and he and his family have been active in the industry for years. Paul is also a state senator from the great state of Tennessee. Paul, I've known you for a long time. I know what your schedule's like, and we are so thankful that uh, you've taken the time. Welcome to Cowboy Office. Well, thank you, guys. I, I'm certainly honored to be asked uh, to be a part of your podcast, and, and I look forward to our discussion. Thanks, Paul, for being here. Um, Ed, just for the audience, uh, you can get to the Cow Horses website. At, they actually have a great simple one, nrcha.com. You can go straight to their website, um, and as always, we will uh, provide a direct link to the Cow Horses website, nrcha.com, through the Cowboy Office, directly attached to this episode. Paul, we, we all, just first big question is the big one, you know, cow horse reining, cutting, cowboy lifestyles, getting a lot of attention, um, public awareness, we're all talking cowboy again. A um, little bit different than the 80s, but uh, give us your simple overview from 30,000 feet. Uh, one, on the industry as a whole, the working Western, the cowboy lifestyle, and then, of course, um, status of the cow horses. Give us your big shot. Good, bad, indifferent. How are we doing? Well, I think we're doing uh, overall good. Uh, I am concerned about uh, the inflationary pressures that we're seeing in our nation's economy but uh, it's certainly not filtered down to the horse industry or especially the cow horse industry that that i'm a part of uh, we saw a 20 percent growth in our shows last year and so we're expecting um, uh, moderate growth again this year as we move um, move into our world show coming up next month in february and then we have high hopes that the rest of our shows uh, will also see some growth that's great that's great. That is. Paul, the Rain Cow Horse is a nonprofit. We're um, like the Raining Horse Association, not for profit. Um, you were incorporated in the 40s in California, made the move to Pilot Point, I assume just because it was the, the spot to go to help growth. Um, for the people that don't know about the Rain Cow Horse, what, what's, the, what's the mission? Well, the mi the mission statement for the Rain Cow Horse is to keep the the uh, actual vaquero uh, tradition alive in training of a of a cow horse. Uh, the vaquero is the Spanish cowboy that came up in uh, out of Mexico into California 
uh, and worked on those uh, ranches. Uh, and they they had a unique way in how they trained their horses. Uh, they um, um, used a hackamore. They used a two rein as as those horses developed and aged. And they also taught those horses how to uh, uh, to work cattle. And so the uh, rain cow horse is based on that tradition. Uh, we start those horses out as uh, two and three year olds in a snaffle, and then progress them into a hackamore, and then obviously into a two rein, and then into a bridle. So we've tried to keep that tradition alive. Obviously, uh, with uh, with the evolution of, of horses and horse shows, um, things have changed. But uh, at the same time, we continue to try to keep uh, that vaquero style alive and and uh, and a tribute to those uh, true men that came up and and had a way of uh, being good horsemen and training horses. Well, and and how does I, I think that's fascinating because you guys as a discipline certainly are doing it different and I get it c- coming from the the Quero history but going through those phases from three-year-old fraternity horses on up are you seeing the positive effects to finished bridle horses and the fact that they can live and perform and do stuff longer because the pressure in the modern horse world is we put so much pressure on the young ones that the common conversation is you know give them time and let them develop you guys already have that as part of your full program and i'm i'm curious on do you see that are, are your finished older horses are there more of them and are they staying around longer well it's interesting because if you are a non-pro or even an open rider and you're looking for a finished bridle horse uh, there's very few out there uh, for you to go by and be able to compete on um, it's amazing whenever you have over 300 entries in in a snaffle bit futurity as three-year-olds how um, later on it's hard to find those horses but one thing we said uh, uh, the nrcha board set a pathway a few years ago is to start increasing our uh, payouts and our added money in uh, like our two rain classes as well as our bridal classes to bring those horses on so that trainers would have an incentive to continue to train their horses. We always focus so much on the young horse because that's where the big payouts have always been, but uh, we realized that we weren't uh, progressing those horses into uh, bridal horses. So uh, several years ago, we, we, uh, because we are a three to four event deal, having the cutting, the reining, and, and down the fence, and then of course in our world's greatest horsemen, we do the steer stopping. But with those uh, three events, we decided that we needed to continue the progression of those horses after they leave the hackamore, which is their four and five year old year, into the two rein year uh, by having a three event deal and, and adding uh, a lot of money into those classes so that those owners and those um, uh, trainers would continue to progress those horses and then ultimately into the uh, bridle horses. Now we're seeing uh, world's greatest horsemen. I alluded to some numbers just a few minutes ago when we started talking. Uh, Last year we had uh, 66 entries in our world's greatest horsemen. This year we have 75 entries, the largest world's greatest horsemen that uh, the NRCHA has ever seen. Uh, the winner of that uh, uh, World's Greatest Horseman is going to get a check for $150,000. So, again, uh, I'm just 
pointing to the fact that we have continued to add additional money into those bridal classes so that those owners and those trainers have an incentive to continue to train those horses past that three-year-old and four-year-old year. Outstanding. Good for you guys. That is great. Paul, and just a, just a quick question from a trainer standpoint, and since I, you know, of course I know, I know a lot of the rain cow horse guys, but you know, not, I don't stay on top of it. Like, you know, I mean, like someone like yourself does, if, if I were a, if I were an outside, if I were a person that wanted to get involved in the rain cow horse, I was a non-pro rider like yourself or a starter level, maybe rookie green. Now you're far beyond that. That's not where I'm I, what I meant to say. I don't know. What, what, would, what, what would happen if, um, is there a, and this is just, I'm just making conversation here, but if I wanted to get involved, are there, would the rain cow horse, could they, would they, if, if, if a guy called the rain cow horse or who, who would a person contact to say, look, I, I need to find a trainer that, that maybe specializes more in non-pro horses than futurity mm-hmm. type horses, you know, somewhere if I'm, who would I contact in the rain cow horse to help me with that? Well, obviously if you are, um, just brand new, you, you've seen, uh, our sport at, um, uh, you've come to one of our shows, the world's greatest horseman, or, or you've seen it on television on the cowboy channel. Uh, RFD, and and you want to get involved in that, you can go uh, to our NRCHA.com website. Uh, you're welcome to call the office. Those ladies that work in the office can give you uh, trainers that specialize in non-pros. Uh, Jody, you know yourself, there's trainers that, that are strictly open trainers that just train those open horses. But we also have trainers um, in in the uh, cow horse industry that, that focus just on non-pros. And that's always um, a positive, especially for someone that's wanting to enter in uh, to the uh, the cow horse. And, and, and there's lots of knowledge to be gained uh, by those uh, by those trainers and certainly go to the NRCHA. Uh, heck, uh, you know, many times just just call up a trainer. You know, we, we see these guys' names in, uh, uh, in, in the flashing lights, if you will, but especially on, on websites and news releases and, and articles. And, and many times you can uh, call our cow horse guys up and say, hey, I'm looking to uh, come into the cow horse. Uh, who would be a good fit for me? And a lot of times if, if they're not the person, they're more than happy to recommend someone uh, for you to be able to get started. Awesome. That's and that's very helpful too. Cool. So it's Great. really just picking up the phone, making a contact, and start. So it's yeah. not hard, right? Yeah. I just want to say, as far as the cow horse, and um, uh, you know, uh, Brian, I'm sure you remember. I I, I rode Rainers with Jody uh, probably many yeah. years ago. We uh, I, I pointed to a a little bronze <laughs> that I won back several years ago <laughs> with, with Jody. Uh, I, I'll just say it doesn't have a 2000 date on it. So, uh, it was before 2000 on a, on a horse that was called, I'm a Huckleberry. So I was in the reigning world for, for many years before moving over into the, into the cow horse. But here's one thing about our cow horse guys, whether, whether it's Corey Cushing, uh, or, or it's, uh, Lee Deacon and Ashley Deacon, any of those, any of these trainers that you reach out to in the cow horse industry, we find that they are very accommodating. They understand that the growth of the cow horse is new people coming in and they want to help uh, find a right fit for you. And, uh, you know, Corey uh, focuses uh, primarily on open horses, 
but uh, Lee and Ashley are just two uh, husband and wife team that they focus a lot on on the non-pros and bringing entry-level people in. But they're willing to help you find, if they're not the fit for you, they're willing to help you find the right person that would work for you. And, and we just find that in the cow horse that uh, our, our guys, our professionals, are just so good about helping uh, entry-level people. That's outstanding. That's, that's great. I've, I've always been a strong proponent that the, fundamentally the people in all of in the horse world are fundamentally good people. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, yes, and you're just reassuring that on a on a magnified level. Let's talk cow NRCHA for just a touch cuz you guys you're you've got a number of uniquenesses. But here's a big one because you guys are producing 5 to 6 national events in-house yourself. Um and and, and I give you a lot of credit because you're moving. Um, in a short period of time, when you were president last, uh, is when the snaffle bit fraternity moves from Reno to Fort Worth. And so I'm not going to be 100% accurate because you're always moving. But between Vegas and Scottsdale, Arizona, and last year you were in Murfreesboro, Tennessee with your Eastern Derby and the world's greatest and the snaffle bit fraternity in Fort Worth, you're producing five to six, could be seven national events in-house as an organization that's more than anybody else um talk to us a little bit one you know you guys are doing it in-house good for you guys uh, the why and then two is where are you going um and obviously when you produce them in-house at that level you're you're leading the industry you're you're taking the rest of the industry as you guys do it so goes everybody else so elaborate on that just a little bit vision well, well, thank you, Brian, and, and, and certainly that has always been, um, you mentioned vision. Our vision is to produce the best cow horse shows possible, and we have assembled uh, a team of individuals that uh, work all of our shows, and here's what's uh, so unique about that and, and really what makes our shows successful. They know our exhibitors they know the owners they know how to make the show run and so when you put that combination together it is a successful event um when you when you know that when you have that back gate person and and, and you know whether it's the back gate person or it's jimmy kaiser dragging the ground the judges in the stand to the office staff when they know you, when you walk into the, either the arena or the office and you have a question and you provide good customer service, we are a customer service oriented uh, association as well as I think the horse industry in general should be a customer service uh, oriented uh, industry. And so we want to provide that good customer service and and the way we've been successful is making sure that that our people know how to to run an event, keep it on time. Um, and when we say we start at eight o'clock, the first horse is walking in the pen at eight o'clock. And we have a timeline that we go by, and uh, all throughout the day, it is amazing how close that we can say that 
the next class is going to start and that class is within just you know uh, sometimes it's right on time but it's within a five to ten minute space and exhibitors and owners appreciate that because that allows them to be able to go do something that they want to do and then come back and see their horse or be able to prepare their horse but uh, I think it's uh, generated around the fact that we have kept a good staff together uh, through the years um, and they know our exhibitors and they know the trainers and that that is just a huge part of our success what a phenomenal um, what a phenomenal concept so good for you guys and I applaud you and um, outstanding but customer service people to people that's not new to any business and so good for you guys um, I think it's phenomenal but then it actually gets my mind going a little bit because then when you have a core professional staff that is actually doing two huge things because event production is one thing and that's huge and it's never standing still you know if, if you ever want change all you got to do is get in the event world and because it's never the same but you guys producing that level of events across the full year and then also running your organization um, I, I, I just, I think that's phenomenal. And so good for you guys and good for you guys as a board. So, yeah. yeah. And, and, let, and let me just say that venue selection has been huge. When you select venues like Scottsdale, Arizona, South Point Arena in Las Vegas, we have two shows in, in, uh, Fort Worth, Texas, you're selecting venues that are conducive to our event. And it has, those arenas have a great reputation uh, to those uh, exhibitors and those owners, and it's a destination. One thing we worked on several years ago is we needed to find venues that were destinations because owners, they love coming and watching their horse, but they may not want to sit in that arena for eight hours, and they want to be able to go out and find nice restaurants. They want to be able to go and play golf if if, if if the time allows and there's many things that they want to do and if you provide a venue in a good location that draws people in uh, to be able to come and enjoy the show and also uh, it's a partnership with those cities because those cities gain uh, economic um, yep. development from those individuals coming in yep yep the impact is significant so yes um, I, I, I hear you. So, uh, on all those levels and I have some direct experience there too. So, um, w we won't elaborate on that. Yeah. I, I think that's great, Paul. And do you think that, do you think that the rain cow horse, I mean, it's, it's just, first of all, it sounds, it sounds like from the outsider looking in that you're the perfect size. In other words, you're, you're growing, but not so big that, that, that staff can't handle that. I mean, I, and I don't know if, if there's ever a point in time when you outgrow a staff like that, or if you just continue to, you know, that customer service, it's sometimes the horse business. That's, that's not what you, that's not what you get sometimes. Sure. What I'm trying to say <laughs> in different disciplines, you've, you've experienced it, right? I so, have. Um, and that's the reason it's important to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I, I think that's, I think that's great. So well, uh, there's actually, let me interrupt for just touch because we actually have a question in industry, and I think it's very pertinent right here, which comes off our website because our 
our audience is actually interfacing with Jody and I through our website and what we're doing with Cowboy Office. And the question is this, and it's directly pertinent to this, growth, growth to the industry and that awareness and the pros and cons to the net effects to that on organization and business. And I think you're hitting on a big one. One is customer service, but two is people to people. Mm -hmm. You know, the more people interact with each other on a continuum, your customer service should go up, right? But talk on that right. just a touch and, and what Jody was just alluding to. Go ahead. Yeah, so I think that, you know, I, I think it, it's all relative from the owner's to the exhibitors, where, whether it's um, open, non-pro, to the spectators, to uh, the just the overall participation. Uh, I, I think that that's people, this is expendable money for a lot of people. And so when I talk about customer service and you have, um, you have a mom and a dad that's brought uh, their son or daughter to, to participate in youth events, and, and they come to the office and, and they write us a check for $2,000. That's just, that's just for that uh, young man or young woman uh, to be able to be there and show. That doesn't include all the other expenses that they've paid to, to get Johnny or Susie to the show. That is a huge expenditure for, for a lot of families that they want to, uh, uh, that they're spending uh, on, on their son or daughter. And I think the least that we can do, again, goes back to customer service because we need to show uh, that family uh, that, that they're appreciated as well as, you know, any owner uh, that walks in and, and, um, and, and is writing those checks to, uh, to an association for them to be able to compete. So I think we just have to always keep that in mind that uh, this is expendable money. And people can decide to go out and buy a ski boat just as easy as they can to go buy a horse. <laughs> yeah. And and that's the one thing that I think our trainers sometimes forget. And that's where I think some of our show management forgets is that the, this is expendable money to people. And they can spend that money in, in other venues and avenues rather than just spending it in the horse industry. And we've always got to keep that in mind. Yeah. No, that's a point well said. Uh, and, and the boat one is a common um, <laughs> comparable, but I, I would tell you that um, this is just personal, but, I, you know, I, I can go out and spend some time with my horse and have a lot more quality time with my horse than I can with my boat. So just that's just me. So anyways, and I've had a boat, so um, didn't last long. I've still got a horse, so we're all good. That's That's really good. Well, you know, I like I said, I – when we're when we're talking about money and the, this next topic that I'm going to ask you about, I mean we could we could probably do a whole show on this because uh, we, and we're we're talking about you know the purse structure, and you know our industry is moving to try to build wealth through a purse offering, and I, I you know I've I've often uh, you know just to give you a quick example in past shows I think you know with the with the reigning horse deal I've always I've always felt like uh, like sometimes we're subsidizing you know, the upper end only and, you know, from a trainer standpoint. And, and I, I've often said as a, as a trainer that sometimes the, 
I get my intelligence insulted because I may have a horse that can mark a 218 and he maybe he's a level two or level three horse, but I'm forced to subsidize that top end all the mm-hmm. time because part of my money is going to go to the, and I mean, I may as well just go hand a check to somebody that's a, that's a top 20 rider because my horse can't compete with them. And I know mm-hmm. that. And I, uh, I, you know, so it's, it's been a longstanding sore spot with me from that standpoint. And I just, I, I will, I'm wondering how, how the ring cow horse is structured, um, you know, I know that your, your prize monies, you know, are, are going up year to year, but not taking quantum jumps just looks like it's a nice stable, you know, say what a 2021 was 125,000, 2022, the snaffle bit winner was 150,000. Can, mm-hmm. can you expound a little bit on how you guys structure your prize monies to your, on your major events? Sure. So let me give you a little history. 10 years ago, the overall payouts for the NRCHA, that was for all of just, this is just our managed events. This is our premier events. The overall payouts was $2.6 million. Ten years later, ending last year, 2022, with the Snaffle Bit Futurity, we have paid out $5.6 million. That is a $3 million increase in the payouts in 10 years. That's to me, that is huge for a, for a discipline that's our size. And so uh, one of the ways that we've been able to do that is obviously uh, through our corporate partners, but it's also been through the organic growth of, um, of members coming in and exhibitors coming in. And, yes, Jody, I can, I can honestly say that there's always lots of discussion around that single entry fee, and, and you're a rider that is um, – uh, maybe just a limited rider, and uh, you're you're paying that uh, twenty five hundred dollar entry fee, and and uh, uh, you're you're helping subsidize the open and and the intermediate uh, as well. We we have those discussions, but one of the things that we also did in in the cow horse is to make sure that we continue to bring those young trainers along and those apprentice trainers along, is we created a level one. Uh, open division which uh, that allows uh, those trainers to be able to young trainers to be able to take horses that maybe that open rider uh, is not good enough to make the finals in in the open division and it gives them an opportunity to just show in that uh, level one now they can also cross center and and show in in the other three divisions and and we see that happen from time to time with uh, with these young riders they come in and and uh, uh, I mean, they they just they just have scorching runs and in, in, in their, especially in their futurities and their derbies, and and they end up uh, winning quite a bit of that uh, purse money money back. But you know, the open riders will will also say, well, we're subsidizing the intermediate and we're subsidizing the uh, limited division by by us putting all of our money in. So uh, I think that that's uh, that's not a unique situation. I just think all of our uh, associations and our shows we we have those discussions about how is the what is the fairest way um, to uh, uh, to structure an entry fee uh, to help um, all those that are that are showing and and we do it on a percentage basis for example um, 70 uh, it's it's about 70 uh, percent of of the overall goes into the open and then the uh, other 30 percent is broke out into the intermediate and also into the um, into the uh, um, limited division and then of course the level one has its own um, added money uh, i will also say that uh, this year's uh, snaffle bit futurity the uh, 
the winner of the intermediate division got a check for $45,000. It wasn't just a few years ago that, um, that, that, that person was only getting a check for $15,000. So we've continued to increase those, um, top payouts. But one of the things that we also made a promise to our, um, owners and our exhibitors, when we moved from Reno, Nevada, and that was a, that was a huge challenge for, uh, the board and for our association, especially you noted at the beginning of, of the podcast that we were a California organization. And to move from the West Coast to the middle of the country, and especially the Snafflebit Futurity, which is the flagship of our organization, that was a big deal. But one thing we promised is that if you're 25th in the open, you're going to get a check for $10,000 because that last Reno Snafflebit Futurity that 25th place got a check for like $2,500. So we wanted to make sure that if you made the finals in the open division of the Snafflebit Futurity, you got a check for $10,000. It's great to say that the winner gets $150,000, but what's even better is to say that that second place horse gets a check for $125,000 or $100,000, and you just incrementally drop it down because... Yes, the winner gets all the notoriety, but, you know, those owners and those trainers, they've put just as much uh, time, money, and effort into uh, to being uh, in the top 25 or the top 30 as that person that actually wins that class. And we want to make sure that those people are rewarded for their efforts. I, I think that that's a phenomenal and, and um, good for you guys. Great job. Um, a, a, and a all of those. Idea. Um, well, because depth of purse versus everything at the top is a big conversation. And of course the winner is the winner. And, you know, he who is first certainly beat he who is 25th, but from an industry standpoint and one growth and two attracting, and then three economics, um, when you start paying deeper in the purse and I got to just use my simple one because, oh, 10 or 15 years ago, I did a in-depth study across sports and bear with me for a minute i took golf because i think it has a lot of parallels to the horse world point is i took the pga which is a professional golfers association and i looked at the hundredth golfer across a year and then i looked at them over 10 years and i looked at what that meant economically which is about depth because it's not the guy and if you looked at a hundredth whoever's got the hundredth card you know, on their on their top list that's not the guy you see on tv and all the other stuff you do but you are seeing a person that loves what they do and economically it is he, he's able to build wealth by doing his professional sport and that's what you're talking about because if you make the finals then that economic reward should be there as well and i think that that's good for you guys and so um and and yes i think you doubling your purse payout in a 10-year period is you've more than doubled at 2.1 2.2 times um in 10 years phenomenal good for you guys paying attention to that i think is a big one for an organization because it's easy to just put it on the top and then not pay attention to the rest of the economics right uh, absolutely i mean we've all got the same expenses of, of being there at that show and yeah. and and you know whether you've whether you've spent twenty five thousand uh, dollars on that two year old or you spent two hundred fifty thousand dollars on that two year old, ultimately your expenses of getting there are relatively the same. And and so 
but everyone puts a lot of energy and effort into those young horses and so you know we want the reward to be there uh, and and that that also encourages that that owner especially if you're a first time owner or maybe just this is your second snaffle bit futurity and whether you end up in the in the intermediate uh, finals or in the open finals to be able to get a check and and to pay at least your expenses for being at that show it may not pay your entire expenses but just being at that show that brings encouragement and and to those owners to want to uh, continue to be a part of a, uh, to to be a part of our organization. Uh, I, I do want to say one thing. Uh, I asked the board, as uh, um, as vice president, I'm also chair of the finance uh, committee, and so he, he, here's one thing that here's one. Uh, sometimes that's uh, I, I've kind of got a. I don't have my black hat on today. Yeah, 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 it is a blessing and a curse. But let me let me say what I, what I asked the board for approval to do, and and they gave it they gave it to us this year. I asked for a hundred thousand uh, dollars to be spread out through the Snaffle Bit Futurity, and it's it. So that is a hundred thousand dollars that I will be able myself and and others. Once we know our total entry numbers, once that show is cast and, and we know what the hard numbers are and what the payout is uh, on the organic basis, I'll be able to take that $100,000 and spread it throughout all of those other finalists to increase the payout to all those individuals. And so I thought that that was, uh, that was something that I brought to the board that, that uh, was a little bit of an innovative idea. Yes, it's, it's going into the purse, but it's separate from the purse so that we make sure that if we pay that winner $200,000 this year, that, that, uh, that the reserve champion doesn't get a check for 80000 Because I just think that's too big of a disparity if you're trying to pay at the top. So we're going... They allowed us to, um, or allowed my ask of, of the hundred thousand to be used, and we'll spread that out through uh, throughout the rest of the purse. And so, I think other organizations should take that approach too. I would agree with you wholeheartedly, and I just want to give you another piece of kudos because I just looked up on your website. You guys have published your eligibility list for twenty three, based on twenty two, and the, what got my attention was you published a three year average for your open and your non pro exhibitors, and when I looked at that, here here's my statement: your forty five to forty six exhibitors in the open. I'm just looking at the open. Um, are in three years are earning six figures in prize money. And so, which that goes to my story about the professional golfer that was a hundredth, but he spends 10 years on tour and he's built wealth and he can go do whatever he wants to do um, by doing what it is that he's honed his skills on. I saw this and this told me a lot because now if, if Jody and I would go back 30 years, um, because you were talking about in our time, there was only one person a year that would be doing this. Mm-hmm. You guys are now producing, you know, 40 to 50, um, mm-hmm. which that incentive, the economic drive and reward. So good for you guys. But I thought that was phenomenal. 
Well, something else that's been amazing is is the number of million-dollar riders that we continue to create. It's like every time we have one of our major events, another yep. rider uh, becomes a million-dollar rider within the NRCHA. And for us, um, you know, when I when I look at when I look at us compared to the Cutters and to the Rainers, uh, you know, we're the small organization. But we continue to produce million-dollar riders year after year after year. And for the size of our organization, to me, that's just huge. And that's just a testament to to uh, to our association and, and to the people that are a part of this association. Um, I would agree. There was another piece that just came out in Quarter Horse News this month, and it was the top five owners in cow horse and cutting. And it was actually interesting. They showed both owners, horse owners, and and it was pretty close to um, the amount of purse money those owners had from the cutting association and the amount of purse earnings they had from the cow horses. I was actually overly impressed, which is exactly a testament to what you're talking yeah, about. How good so it is. Yeah. Keep it up. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> That's really good. Okay, so let's we'll move on a little bit here again and let's you know and we just touched on it you know basically but you know from the sponsorship standpoint that's a that's a huge deal and we we uh we had chris weaver on we talked significantly about that you know the sponsorship because of the bob saddlery and that kind of stuff and and you know sometimes you know i'd i'd mentioned that it seems like some of those sponsors get rode to death a lot of times and and uh some of them, I, you know, are seeing a great return, and, and I would just like to talk about them a little bit. This is a great list of sponsors that the Rain Cow Horses got behind them. And um, from a value and appreciation standpoint, do you think those sponsors are getting a good return with the Rain Cow Horse or the people that are, that are showing? Well, Jody, I'll, I'll answer that question by, by saying that when you have, whether it be a company or a breeder calling the office asking how they can be a sponsor of your association that speaks volumes it's not that we're out and, and we are continuing to chase sponsors uh, uh, daily but when you have individuals that that call and say hey how can we become a corporate partner with the NRCHA uh, I'm, I'm not going to divulge the name but we had a and just a couple of weeks ago, we had two individuals that called me, said we want to come on as corporate partners, and and we started out at one figure and ended up at another figure because they want to be a part of our organization. Our um, I know as you scroll through a, a lot of the, uh, uh, you see a lot of the stallions there. There's a lot of these stallions that that are. Um, uh, mare owners are breeding to and those stallion owners are seeing a return on uh, their money so and their investment in the association so i think that that's uh, that says a lot now i, I also want to say that when i visit with uh, with the various corporate partners uh, of nrcha they've said this to me for years they tell me that the nrcha membership is some of the most loyal supporters of their product of any of the organizations that they actually support uh, whether it be a boot sponsor whether it be a saddle sponsor whether it be a a, a, a dog food sponsor or a feed sponsor uh, they tell us that the nrcha members are some of the most loyal 
supporters of their products, and that's one of the reasons why they like being a part of our organization. Wow. Well, that that's fantastic. Again, that's and Brian, you're going to add to it too. But I, you know, and it just goes back when you've got a good product, you know what people want it, and I mean, <laughs> it's just like it's like that's fantastic, and I I think that 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 loyalty is is something that you know oftentimes there's not enough of and uh and that's you know for the for the rank hours people for your sponsors to say that about them it's that speaks volumes i'll say it does um i i think that's phenomenal and it just goes to the rest of people interacting with people and what does that mean over time that very large concept of family um my i've been a big proponent that you know fundamentally all of us no matter what level in the industry it's it's good people getting together and enjoying something good and yes we got horses and we love our horses but it's all of that activity that that's a thank you for that statement on behalf of all your sponsors that are supporting you but um that's a big one because we hear it a lot and the amount of pressure on the sponsorship is where the industry is and so um how those sponsors are seeing the return is a piece that jody and i are always kind of paying attention and curious about so Thanks for sharing that. You bet. Let's talk growth just a touch. Um, you know, for the obvious, yes, that growth comes in so many different forms. Um, I want to specifically talk about uh, the hobbyist, the non-pro, that person that likes our industry but makes a living <clears throat> doing something else versus the pressure in the industry of that group of people that are truly making a living out of it and whether they're breeders or owners or business people or trainers or veterinarians or farriers you know those are all people that truly are making a living out of our industry but from an organizational standpoint kind of up there servicing both of those sectors talk about what growth means to the cow horses um and how you guys are looking and managing that as we go forward, especially as we now talk about an audience. Well, how do you manage growth? And, and I can say that that has become a challenge with, with our major events because <laughs> it, 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 we've, we've gone from having five-day uh, major events to now 10- and 12-day major events and trying to schedule – so that that non-pro can can uh, only have only have to take off uh, say three three work days to be able to come and show their horse and then um, be able to return back uh, return back to their job so they can come to the next major event so that's always a challenge whenever your shows begin uh, begin to grow so then that comes down to venue selection you've got to have venues that have multiple arenas so that you can uh, have two arenas going. That creates an issue because guess what? You've got a non-pro showing uh, in one arena. The the trainer professional is over showing in the other arena, and they're not that non-pro is not always getting the attention that um, they feel like that they need because uh, of the split. But if you don't do that, then then your show just continues to add more days um, uh, to its schedule. So I, I think that uh, uh, that that is a challenge that that we have faced as far as the um, uh, the organic growth of of our shows, and so choosing those venues is is always uh, important. I think that um, in regards to production and 
and so forth of uh, of our events. Uh, we we looked uh, several years ago at uh, the NFR. Uh, those of you that follow the NFR, you know they have a start time and they have a completion time. So when it came to production of the world's greatest horseman and it came to production of especially the snaffle bit futurity, we moved those finals to a Saturday. We had a hard start time and we knew that uh, you can keep an audience attention for about four hours, maybe five hours. So uh, we looked at it that they would come in, they would participate in our event as far as just being a um, audience uh, participate participation. And so we uh, we wanted to see how NFR did that, and that's exactly what they did. So that's one of the things that, as far as production that we've done with our uh, with our venues. But again. Uh, back to your hobbyists, those that just you know want to have uh, have the horse, they just want to go and and show occasionally. They're not uh, uh, they 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 just love the sport, but you know they don't have um, a lot of uh, expendable money that I've mentioned several times on this podcast. But they have enough money that they can come and participate when they can. Uh, you have to bridge that gap between them and and those uh, professionals and those owners that. Uh, that want to have two and three uh, snaffle bit futurity horses or or a world's greatest horseman so it's always a challenge but again uh, you've got to treat that entry-level person coming into your association just the same as that uh, million dollar rider and that million dollar owner uh, it, it because they're all there for the same purpose and that's because they love the cow horse but we see you guys doing stuff different, and I'm going to make one specific because the National High School and Junior High School Rodeo Finals, and you've got a section in there for youth cow horse participants. So pulling that part out and servicing it different, I think, is a fascinating um, concept and good for you guys. But and I would think your non-pros, we all feel those pressures. Mm-hmm. You know, and so then as an organization or an industry, how do we start looking at them a little bit different? And that's what I've been, Jody and I have been a big proponent of starting to look at it different. And are there different ways to service those? I think you hit it right that you should service them all well. It's all important. Um, but what you guys have been doing in the last, I don't know, it's been five plus years because you've got a youth section of cow horse um, competition in the National High School Finals. Right. Yeah, well, so several years ago, <laughs> you'd get to the uh, NRCHA World Show, and you'd only have six or seven youth showing in our two youth classes. Now we've got uh, 30 and 40 and 50 youth coming in and showing. We also created the world's greatest youth competition that will take place uh, in, in, in February at the, at the World Show. And now we've got like 30-something youth that are participating in a four-event deal. And let me tell you, that is not just some little class that's going on. Uh, you're talking about a horse last year and a young lady that won, won the youth um, world's greatest horseman that marked like a 151 in the fence work the, in the prelims and a 152 down the fence in the finals. And I mean, and, and that wasn't, uh, they, they didn't get a mulligan on that. They, she, she earned every, every point and, 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 but I'm just saying, and the competition is huge in that deal. And so when we entered into the uh, became partners with the High School Rodeo Association, we saw the explosion uh, of our youth 
into the rain cow horse. And so now you have 125 that are competing uh, at the high school rodeo finals uh, in the cow horse. And then now we've seen such a huge growth in our youth uh, back in our regular shows. And then we've had our other associations that are adding those high school rodeo classes into it. It's just brought a whole new uh, group of, of individuals uh, into the cow horse as far as youth are concerned. And, and let me tell you, they like the cow horse because it's uh, it's a multi-discipline event. They they get to do that reining. They get to go down the fence with the cow. And now if they want to show in that four-event deal, they're just like those professionals. They get to they get to rope that steer. So uh, it, it's cowboy stuff. And, and whether you're a whether you're a, a cowgirl or a cowboy, those youth kids, they really like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, Good for you. I think that's, I think that's fantastic. And I don't want, I don't want to take too much of our time, but the nice thing about this show is we get to kind of go every direction that we want to. And I had told Brian right before we got on the air that I, I, I had a thought that I would like to, that I would like to put to you. And it's not, and just, and I'm not asking you, I'm just asking you for an opinion and, and if it's possible, but I, you know, I told Brian, I said, you know, for the last umpteen bazillion years, we've been doing a lot to increase our horse pedigrees so that our horses do what we want. But we mm-hmm. haven't exactly been breeding cows to get better going down the fence, right? <laughs> That's I mean, right. <laughs> so, but, so how do we you know, do that? Right. But anyway, I've got a, you know, I had the chance to, to judge the Arabian Nationals a couple of years ago. And Bobby Ingersoll came in to do the herd, to do the cutting and that kind of stuff. And Bobby is just still just sharp as a tack. I mean, absolutely. And, and I got looking at your list of hall of fame trainers and I, you know, I got thinking that, you know, these guys have got such a tremendous amount of accrued knowledge and not necessarily about the reigning part of the deal. I don't care about that, but they, they know more about a cow than, you know, than they forgot more than I would ever know playing with it. And is there not some way to utilize those guys that maybe aren't training anymore? We know Doug Williamson's a freak. He's still in his mid-70s, can go right. be competitive. But maybe there's some guys there that, that want to stay actively involved and are just so smart. Could, could you not put some of those kids together with a half dozen of those Hall of Fame trainers and, and, and just do the cow work, go down the fence, teach those kids how to read a cow or try to impart some of that knowledge that those older guys that maybe still have a love for the horse but still – but maybe aren't training, you know, that full barn anymore. Is, is, that, a, is that a direction that the rank hours could go? Or maybe you do it already. I don't know. Well, Jody, you're exactly right. And, and let me just say that um, Don Murphy has probably – imparted more knowledge into me about the cow horse and the origin of the cow horse than than anyone that I've um, that I've been around and and it's you know he he gave me the reason why we take the horses down the fence and and why you want to make sure that that horse is in lead whenever you're circling the cow and I mean there's just so much information there that uh, that we need to be uh, going back to those Hall of Famers and and I have uh, let me just say this uh this this is you've just added another um point to my bucket list that that we need to get started on but we need to um we need to get these individuals not only um coaching these uh youth but we also need to get them on video telling more about the history and why we do the things that we do because um when they're gone, we've lost that other than the people that they've uh, told their stories to. But we need to always be reminded of where we uh, have come from 
and and why we are today. These men were horsemen. That they, they, you know, I mean, the stock that they actually had to train was tough. And you guys, y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, the horsepower that we breed today is a totally different horse than what uh, than what Don Murphy and Bobby Ingersoll and Doug Williamson originally started out on, and the reigning horses that you guys have trained. I mean, it's just a totally different horse today. And so these men actually had to work and train those horses to do what they've got. And, and you're right, uh, Jody, when, when you have uh, a Bobby Ingersoll that that's forgotten more about how to work a cow than 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 some of these guys will ever know. Uh, we need to be imparting that uh, knowledge into our youth so that they fully understand uh, the origin and uh, of, of of the cow horse and and really horsemanship. I mean, that's one thing that I always talk about with the cow horse too. Is I feel like that we have true horseman because it is a multi-discipline event you, you you're not just training that horse for for one event you're having to train that horse to do multiple events and that takes a horseman to be able to do that and i'm not taking anything away from my reining trainers anything away from my cutting trainers but i'm just saying you have to be a horseman and love the horse to be able to train those horses to do multiple events i i i profound statement thank you on all of those levels we fully agree with you I want to ask you a specific question only as agriculture and the whole modernization of the world is trying to move forward cattle supply. Um, and, and it, it, you know, what Jody asked is cattle are being bred for the natural consumption that we use cattle for. You guys just get to use them uh, part of that journey, which is about displaying the magnificence of horsemanship and their partner, this phenomenal athlete the horse that's truly a cow horse i mean that's one of the mm-hmm. things that the quarter horse is actually really well known for that cow sense but cattle supply is that a, is that an issue is it not an issue um you know especially producing <laughs> six or seven national events and talk yeah well well so um brian you know this we we have to have about 22 to 2400 head that's yes. 2200 uh, head 2200 head of cattle just for Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, for Las Vegas, Nevada. And, and I mean, you know, sometimes we're having to truck those cattle, uh, four and five, 600 miles, uh, yep. into those venues. So, uh, cattle supply is, uh, has been tough. Then whenever we have events in, uh, Fort Worth, we're competing against the cutters because the cutters use, uh, thousands of head of cattle. We used about 35, 3,600 head of cattle at Air bit futurity so you can you can see that uh, there is there's always a challenge with uh, with the cattle supply the good news is is that you know there's there's uh, uh, thousands of cattle uh, on feedlots um, there in the in the Texas panhandle that we uh, a lot of times have to pull from uh, into our events but uh, it's a challenge and you know also, something some some exhibitors uh, don't realize this, and owners don't realize this. When you walk that calf into the into the arena, you know that's a that's a thousand dollars a lot of times. That's eight hundred yeah. to a thousand dollars of money standing there uh, and, and with that calf. And so, it's it's always uh, um, something that people need to be reminded of is that when we use. Uh, 2,200 head or 2,500 head of cattle, you know, we're, we're paying about $250,000 for those cattle to be there. And so when we have to increase our 
cattle prices to cover the cost of those cattle, uh, there's a reason that we have to do that. It's because our supply is, is shrinking and uh, those owners of those cattle are demanding more from us. Well, you got all the other pieces in the economics that are going. I mean, you got transportation costs, the rest of that. I think it's easy from the outside looking in to take for granted those kinds of things. And so not only are they well taken care of, but the specifics that you guys would need for a, for a, a, basically the two events, you got you got to do your herd work and then you got to do your fence work. And so um, I've always found that to be fascinating. Yes, I have direct experience. I've worked with your herd manager and the trucks in and out. And so they don't stop. Right. Um, so, you know, tending to a thousand horses and having stalls is one thing and a different piece of the equation. When you start talking about having to handle two to 3000 head of cattle as part of the event and the athleticism, it's, it just adds a whole nother dimension. So, and, yeah. and I just want to say this and I won't labor on it about $5 to five and a half dollars per mile to truck that cow in there. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Transportation cost—it's not, not going down. So yeah. no, <laughs> right. no, it's, that's yeah. that's crazy. Um, so when you know we're we're talking about this, and I hate to—this <laughs> is a question that I, I'd put to Brian and put to you, uh, but it—I uh, I don't want to use politician and 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 horse <laughs> in the in the same sentence, <laughs> but but I yeah, it's one I, and the same. I, you know, I I do want to. I do want to ask you if you if you've noticed any parallel, and this is just a you know this is just a light question, and but have you noticed any parallels between between that between that you know political career that you are taking part in and being in a leadership role for the rain cow horse? I mean, as far as handling people, anything like that? Oh, I think so. We've talked about it. It's it's all a people business, and politics is a people business, and. Being on the um, uh, NRCHA board is is a people business. You also have a committee system that you know you uh, just the same as legislature. You have a committee system there that um, that legislation and ideas move through. Same with the uh, with the cow horse. You have your professionals committee, your owners committee, your non pro committee that bring their ideas to the board and then. Ultimately, um, if you're passionate about that idea, uh, just like in the in the state legislature, I have to lobby sometimes for my ideas and my legislation, and I have to do the same uh, relative to the rain cow horse. If you mentioned, if you remember, I mentioned earlier about the hundred thousand dollar idea. Of course, mm-hmm. you have to realize all those uh, uh, professional trainer sitting in the room was all for that idea but i uh, didn't have to lobby real hard but and so that that's also a parallel with the uh, state legislature if it's a great idea then you know you you don't always have to lobby hard and then you know there's uh, i can remember so thinking back about our growth real quick guys i remember whenever i first got on the nrcha board we only had one boxing class and it was called a 5k boxing class which meant that once you won $5,000 in that boxing class, you were out and you had to go down the fence. And I, for for a few years, I lobbied the NRCHA board that we've got people that never want to leave boxing. They can't go down the fence. And I had trainers tell me that were on the board at that time, I can teach anyone to go down the fence. You may can, but the fact is there are people that never want to go down the fence. And so once we finally moved past uh, the the idea that everyone had to graduate out of boxing and ultimately go down the fence, 
we saw a huge explosion in our membership and bringing new people in to a point to where we created a 1K. Then we have the 5K, and now we have the regular boxing class. Now we've created a, a box drive box class, which is kind of an introduction for those that may want to ultimately go down the fence. So you have to be open-minded to, to be able to bring those projects. But I can tell you, it's just like the state legislature. I had to lobby for two or three years to ultimately get the board at that time to to create a, a non-pro boxing class so that people never had to graduate out of boxing if they didn't want to. Good for you guys. Yeah, And I, I think that that's fascinating. And many of us in the industry, your role on an elected leadership at the state assembly level in, in Tennessee, phenomenal, and God bless you. Um, <laughs> and equal to that is the role of being on elected association nonprofit boards because those are thankless kind of positions. But, um, and, and that's why I say God bless you on both those fronts because one, you got the time, but two, you got the interest. And you've all obviously stayed um, with it for quite some time. So good for everybody, but good for the industry along the way. But I would think that your um, understanding of the entire political system would be of huge benefit when you look at association governance and and that kind of stuff and the fact that you guys are producing in multiple states and so um i always found that kind of fascinating because most of the time you don't see you know politicians out in the field in the rest of the industry and maybe it's just because they have other interests but I, I i found that fascinating so thank you well, thank you. That is great, Paul. And I, before I, I'll turn this back over to Brian here, I just uh, another one. But you know, from you know, you're just talking about your trainers. You know, your trainers on the on your board right there. Um, thinking that hundred thousand was a great idea. You know, anytime you're self-employed, it has <laughs> you have a tendency to be a little bit self-serving, right? I mean, it's what I mean. It's what the horse business is. So yeah, absolutely. I'm, and I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I'm just going to say, where's the biggest influence coming from on, in your rain cow horse, say on your board of directors? Is it, is it from the, is it from the trainers or from the breeders, the owners? Who's, who has the biggest influence, say, just on, on your discipline, do you think? Just. Well, so we're relatively uh, a small board in comparison to probably the NCHA, the NRHA, and, and um, AQHA especially. We're 14 members, so that allows us to be a little more nimble and, and move quickly. And and I can say that we uh, are very open-minded, uh, all of us are very open-minded to make sure that, that we um, take care of the non-pros as well as, as, as the open riders. There's always some disagreements in how we get there, but... Um, we we ultimately find common ground to make sure that um, that we do what's in the best interest of the um, uh, of the cow horse. Uh, I'll just say it: someone may throw rocks at me when they see uh, see me, but we sometimes look at what the NRHA's done and what the NCHA has done, and we say ah, we don't want to do that. Uh, we don't want to go down that pathway. Uh, and, and, and 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 so uh those they have been um uh sometimes their trial and errors have actually helped us in formulating uh decisions uh of what to do and what not to do 
Well, I think that that's powerful because there's, there's as many lessons in learning what not to do from those that have tried than, than always being the one to do something different. But, um, I think that that's a powerful statement and it's, uh, by all means. So good for you guys, which would lead me to the last piece, Paul, um, where are you guys going? Uh, just give me the short vision. And, and I say that from the outside looking in, um, because you guys have been probably moving more forward than all the rest of our disciplines in the last five to 10 years. And, and I can give you the parallels because when you talked about the Snafflebit fraternity moving from Reno to, to Fort Worth, I actually was involved in that because I was putting in a proposal to, try and get it to Scottsdale in my career. But the point is from an association standpoint, you were saying how hard that work was. I, I was involved. Jody was there when the NRHA moved from Ohio to Oklahoma and, and the entire industry in those days was adamant that it was a dumb move. And, mm -hmm. and it's not about it. The rest of it is it was the right move. And so that whole so just talk for a touch cow horses and the competition of cow horse has such a unique and phenomenal spot and i give you guys as leadership a lot of credit for opening your mind looking forward starting to do things different the youth with the high school rodeo finals so where are you guys where are you going if you can share that what's the next three to five years look like for you guys well you know, we we want to fill the Dickies Arena for the world's greatest horseman in the Snaffle Bit Futurity. I mean, we we want to have twenty five thousand people. Uh, we're so, you know we sold out the John Justin. Then we've moved yeah. over to the Will Rogers. We've been selling the Will Rogers out. Our vision is to uh, sell out Dickies Arena for the world's greatest horseman finals and for our Snaffle Bit Futurity finals, and you know put twenty five thousand uh, 25 to 30,000 people in that arena, uh, screaming for those horses going down the fence. And, and so it, that's, that's our vision to, uh, um, uh, to, to cre continue to create a, an event that is uh, spectator friendly and, and something that people want to be a part of, whether they're just coming to watch it or whether they want to ultimately show in it. But I think as an organization, we can't forget about those people that have brought us here. And we always have to look back and remember uh, that that person that's uh, that's been a member of this organization uh, for over 40 years. And we've got to always keep uh, that person in in mind as well as uh, that person that we're trying to fill a 25,000 seat auditorium with. And so we have to make sure that uh, we, we don't forget about them and that we continue to create levels of of competition that are that's conducive to to uh, all that want to participate uh, within the cow horse. And, and, you know, the cow horse is not an easy discipline. It's, it's you know, we've said this several times on the podcast. It's a multidiscipline uh, event. And so, uh, but we have to, we're, we're cognizant, and we want to continue to uh, uh, be relevant in the Western horse industry, and, and we want to make sure that we, um, continue to move forward, but we don't lose focus on those that uh, have brought us to this point. Yeah. Well, thank you. I think that that's phenomenal. And I, I actually, um, I've always been a proponent that our industry, I say this on a plural standpoint, we've got to start looking and you guys are already doing it. Um, and, and I hear you on, on providing the services to the segments of the industry. 
all day long, but I've been a proponent, and the Rainers tried this with a non-pro fraternity back in Denver years ago. And so it's, it's from an organizational standpoint, how do we start looking at servicing those to the needs that they need as opposed to trying to do them all in the same thing? I see you guys already playing with that. So um, I, I give you a lot of credit. Your boxing, there's a big one. And, and yes, people, it's, it's okay that they can, but if they don't want to, they don't have to. And so you guys making those adjustments as you're going, um, I just think it's phenomenal. So uh, I, I give you all the credit and kudos there is, and we wish you all the best. Um, the other thing is, remember, the Cowboy Office could probably help you with getting some of your Hall of Famers on, on recorded oh, historical yeah. sessions. So don't forget us. A- absolutely right. not. Absolutely and, not. Great idea. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I, would, I, I, I can't tell you what I would pay to go sit and list to six of those guys, help coach some kids going down the fence, and hang around them over a glass of wine at night. You know Absolutely. what I mean? It would be part of it. It's like it would be. It would be just great for everyone. But you know, before Paul, you guys, I, I, go I'm going to interrupt because you mentioned Doug Williamson a few minutes ago. You're talking about someone's hero. I mean, many times today, when you look at the finals of whether the cow horse, the reigning, or the cutting, it is a competitive event for for young people. You know, it was. Uh, uh, you know. Once you reach a certain age, it's not always easy for you to compete against those younger guys. Doug Williamson has come back year after year after year, and most of the time makes the Snaffle Bit Futurity Finals at his age, and he's my hero. Uh, many of us. Many yeah, of us. Exactly. It's like, yeah, there's, there's still hope. Right. <laughs> yeah, for me too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, Paul, I, I, you know, I, I just can't, we, we can't thank you enough. And, you know, we, we've got to give thanks to the Rain Cowher Association, all the staff that you talked about, you know, the leaders that you serve with. Um, and, you know, we know the hours that you guys put in, anybody that's put a horse show on before. Um, but, you know, we, we wish you the best. And, and uh, we just, like I said, we thank you for your time and, and your expertise. Uh, well, I don't know how much of an expert I am, but uh, I, I'm, I'm glad to give you my time. <laughs> you, you are on multiple levels. And so from from being a state um, senator to a board of director to an active competitor and owner, um, your expertise is um, highly sought after. And so thank you very much. Uh, I, I've got to I've got to duplicate what Jody was just saying. So we can't we can't thank you enough. And please share with your staff and your colleagues on the board. Um, thank you for everything that they do every day. Thanks for bringing the excitement of the cow horses um, to the public. And we all look forward to being part of that in our own ways. Uh, as a reminder, we will provide direct links through the CowboyOffice.com website um, for the NRCHA.com. Again, NRCHA.com. And we want to remind the audience to... Uh, uh, when you watch or listen to the podcast, uh, hit your subscribe or like button because that's what helps us to stay productive. And until next time, enjoy the ride. Thank you. And, uh, you know, stay in the middle. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by 40 Productions in cooperation with the Consultment Agency, a full service agency that helps bring forward thinking equine brands into the 21st century using digital skills and services such as website development, graphic design, social media, and media production such as the podcast you're consuming here today. Thank you so much for riding along with us today. 
Sign up at cowboyoffice.com to be the first to know about topics affecting the industry we love so much. You can reach out to us with topics you care about by finding us on TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. And remember, share this episode with someone that may enjoy it, because the more we can share our horses with others, the better our world will be.